This is On The Record Off Script. This week we're bringing you a special episode. It's not a new interview, but we think you're going to like it. We're off this week. For the last couple of weeks, I've been busy putting together Springtide's annual plan for the work we want to get done in 2018, and that includes this show. Uh, Since we're a small shop, that meant taking some time away from the work I usually do on this podcast and uh, focusing on that, but back at it next week. So I'm going to leave you with an interview I did for another show we produce at Springtide called Govern Yourself Accordingly, and you can subscribe to that show wherever you get podcasts. This interview is with Gabor Lukacs. He's an air passenger rights advocate who lives in Halifax. We do a proper introduction before the interview, but I want to note one thing that's come up since we produced this show. Gabor, who is not a lawyer himself, recently represented himself at the Supreme Court of Canada on a case where he was arguing for the rights of large passengers or obese passengers. He's not an obese person himself. And I will admit, I don't fully understand the nuances of the case, but Gabor is considering it a win. And the overall impact of the decision is that the court has ordered the Canadian Transportation Agency to revisit a complaint about how Delta Airlines treats obese passengers traveling on its airlines. And presumably that'll have impact on other airlines as well. The interview you will hear happened in the early fall of 2017 and happened just before Gabor actually fought the case at the Supreme Court. Enjoy. My grandparents are traveling from Hamilton to Halifax this holiday season. They booked their flights back in the summer. Itineraries have been changed, and their return flights are being pushed back by a full day. Is WestJet in any way responsible for this additional cost? Hi, Gabor. My sister-in-law was booked to fly Air Canada from Casablanca to Montreal to Halifax. Air Canada cancelled the flight from Casablanca to Montreal. Is Air Canada responsible for her hotel in Montreal under the Montreal Convention, or or are they off the hook? Thanks for everything you do for all of us. Hi, Gabor. You helped me a few weeks back with a follow-up of a lost bag claim. Two long months wait since the bag was lost. Air Canada finally sent a check for only 500 Canadian dollars, as opposed to... Should I take it to court? I'm not sure what to do here. Thank you, Gabor, for your assistance in helping us get our compensation of 600 euros each. It's amazing how many people are benefiting from your advice and the valuable information that you provide. Thanks again. I just want to send another very personal thank you to Gabor Lukacs for all that he's done for us. I would not have been so savvy about these things if it weren't for him. And I'm paying it forward by helping other people on my flight access these rights. Many people have had the unfortunate experience of having their flight delayed, baggage lost, travel plans interrupted, or missed entire events due to no fault of their own when they travel on the airlines. A lot of us grumble, complain, and simply accept that that's the way it is, but not today's guest on the Govern Yourself Accordingly podcast. You know, it's not often you hear of somebody who is not a lawyer representing themselves in a federal court, and it's even less often to hear of someone who has done that more than a dozen times. But today's guest, Gabor Lukacs, or Gabby, has done just that, and he's been taking airlines to court and filing regulatory complaints with the Canadian Transportation Agency for the last nine years. He's filed 26 successful complaints, but he's taking fewer and fewer cases on himself these days, and has made it a priority to help other people understand their own rights as airline passengers. The voices you heard in the introduction to today's show were some of the people who Gabor has helped over at the Facebook group he runs for Air Passenger Rights Canada. He does all of his work for his own cases and for the passengers he supports as a volunteer although he's also been hired by law firms as a consultant with one-of-a-kind expertise for the law and regulations surrounding passenger rights in Canada. And he's today's guest on the Govern Yourself Accordingly podcast.
the way I define myself is that I'm a mathematician by training and by profession, and I'm also an air passenger rights advocate as a volunteer, as a uh, activist. And tell me how you got into this work. It didn't happen one day or overnight. It was a gradual process. I travel a lot. I have family in Hungary. As an academic, as a mathematician, I also travel quite a bit to conferences. Mm -hmm. So I was exposed to a lot of problems. And I like to know how things work. When I go to my dentist, I would like to know what he's doing and why. Mm -hmm. When I fly, I also want to understand what are the rules and what are the regulations and what is the whole system that in which I am now participating. So I began to read up on this. One of the first incidents was actually right here in Halifax uh, when I was supposed to be leaving to a conference, but the flight couldn't take off. In fact, the airplane couldn't land because they were renovating the airport and they had to shut down the ILS, the Instrumental Landing System. They knew that this would be happening months and months in advance and the airline still sold the ticket. And I was late to my conference by more than 26 hours. I was very pissed about it, and I took the airline to small claims courts based on the Montreal Convention. And to my good luck, the airline didn't show up in court, so I got a default judgment. This gave me a big push to pursue this direction of learning more about my rights. The next milestone, so to speak, was uh, in Winnipeg. I was a faculty at the University of Manitoba, and I was to fly out to a one-day workshop, and United Airlines canceled the flight due to mechanical reasons, yet claimed that it was due to weather, and refused to rebook me on another flight by another airline, which was departing even a bit earlier, just two counters away. I missed the whole conference on account of that, and I was rather angry. So I took them to court. And there are probably some professional implications for this or some implications for your career not being able to go to these sorts of places you need to be for work. It was very unpleasant. Um, in the first case, where you go to a conference, especially at the beginning of the conference, you have a lot of opportunity to uh, socialize with people, to make new connections. That was cut out. In the second case, I was completely cut off from an topic that I wanted to learn more about. Then I realized that you cannot just play whack-a-mole with the airlines. You need to have something more systematic. Mm -hmm. And I had in my old folder somewhere saved a newspaper article about a body called the Canadian Transportation Agency that issued one ruling on a particular issue. And I thought, that may be the solution. So I picked a topic which I knew that was a common problem, liability for baggage. Mm -hmm. And Air Canada in those days used to have those big signs telling the public that they're not liable for anything, basically. If your baggage is scratched or nicked or dinged or any, right. they're not liable for it, which is completely incorrect. The law is clear that they are liable for damage to your baggage. And I challenged that successfully. And then in 2009, and one nice day in May, uh, the decision came out that the Canadian Transportation Agency agreed with my position on all points. Air Canada had to take off those, those signs and they have had to um, rewrite their policies. And you filed some 26 uh, successful regulatory, regulatory complaints since. Um, and I'm sure there are 
irons in the fire. Actually, I know you already mentioned that there are there are other cases that are that are active for you. At what point did this become? Uh, I guess when did you decide to to make it uh, a more than a once in a while thing? Is obviously you you do this fairly regularly. It happened gradually again. I saw more and more problems as I learned more and more about how the airlines are treating passengers. People began to write to me and telling me, hey, I have this problem, can you help me? First it happened very rarely, then it happened more frequently. And the more I saw, the more horrified I was how Canadian passengers are being treated. Hmm. So uh, perhaps the next major um, milestone was in 2012-13 when I officially registered the domain airpassengerrights.ca, began to use it and began to establish an archive for cases where people can see how to write a legal document, how such arguments look like, what such proceedings look like. And uh, I guess filing a complaint with um, the Canadian Transportation Agency is, I guess, it's one thing, um, but you've also gone to court uh, and the Supreme Court uh, over these sorts of things. And that isn't something that uh, I I personally would feel confident doing. And I, and I suppose most people aren't at the place. You're not a lawyer, uh, but you're representing yourself and, and the people that you're you're advocating for. Was there, I guess, before, I'm curious about the, the details of, of what's involved in that, but was there a part of you that was sort of like, Am I able to do this? Was there any, uh, I guess, self-doubt along along that path? It is always a scary process. For the Supreme Court of Canada, it is happening in two weeks from today, about less than two weeks, 4th of October. So that is will be a first for me. Oh, and the Supreme, that'll be the first time you're first at the Supreme time. Court. But you've Fed- been to other... A federal court of appeal I've been right. several times. And um, I was scared. I was scared even at the first time whether I'm able to present the materials in a way that it will be admitted for filing. Because there are some formal requirements of you need to have it bound and have to have mm. things in a particular order and you have to have an affidavit and all the documents there. So it, it, it is a work and it's a challenge. Um, but there are two aspects to it. One is that um, in order to let evil prevail, it's enough if people who are good are inactive. Hmm. So if everybody who cares says, well, it's too difficult for me, it's too complicated, let somebody else do it, then nothing is going to change. Right. Many years ago, I used to, I was a master's student in Israel. I lived in a student dormitory and, uh, and, uh, you know, six people living in an apartment. And when I first moved there, I was told, and it was a good arrangement, that we all have to take turns to clean the apartment. Every week, somebody else takes a turn. Hmm. Therefore, the apartment was always clean. This is something similar. If we live in a society, if we live our lives in a way that we take turns, and not in terms of time, but in terms of different tasks, one person may be an expert on food issues, other person may be an expert on um, car safety issues. Mm -hmm. If people are more willing to put their personal time and energy into causes that they, for whatever personal reason, have developed, ended up developing expertise in, then we are going to live in a better society. Mm-hmm. We cannot leave it just to the government, even in the best possible government, which I don't think we have, but even if we had a, some kind of ideal government, it still needs citizen activism to actually ensure that our rights are protected. 
it's not going to happen by itself. Hmm. And I think, I mean, there's a lot of pressure today among at least the activist communities that I am a part of to know what is right about everything. And I think some of, uh, I guess, what I appreciate about what you're doing is that there are, um, it's nice to look at what is happening in a particular area and on a particular issue and know that um, it looks like somebody's taking care of it. And I've got my own issues that I know something about and I know uh, what effect I can have on and I try to speak up where I can, but it is, uh, I don't fly as regularly as you do. So uh, I don't see enough of this, but you know, I've been following what you're posting and what folks that are part of your uh, air passenger rights community are posting on uh, the Facebook group. And uh, it's, it's clearly an issue uh, of uh, there are corporations who do not always have the the passengers interests uh at, at top of mind just do not always and never have the the reality is that for an airline a passenger is a commodity is a number and the current climate is that airlines want to provide as little as possible to passengers without having a major media scandal without having mm. some major consequences this is also the reason that i'm so concerned about the current 2017 state of the Canadian Transportation Agency, because right now the rules are not being enforced. There are rules already in place, although the current government wants to pretend that it is going to give now the rules to the people, but in Mm -hmm. reality, there are already many rules in place. The Canadian Transportation Agency also already has many tools to enforce the law. What is missing is actual willingness to enforce the law actual desire to do more than a slap on the wrist to airlines that disobey the law and clearly do so in a blatant disregard of the intent of the law. Hmm. When you listen, for example, in the air transit inquiry where they stranded air transit passengers at the Ottawa airport for many hours, uh, what stems from from it, from for me, for a person like me, is from testimonies, is that the the crew simply was never properly trained about the rules. So it reminds me a great deal the uh, legal system that was prevalent in Hungary and other so-called socialist countries, um, because. When you look at their law books, they had all the laws that you would have mostly in a democratic country. You would have all the laws that, you know, a civil law system. They don't have a common law system. Mm-hmm. But the, the attitude was, well, that's what the law says. And so what? The current landscape is, as I'm seeing it, is that the laws seem, seem to apply only to passengers. If you are five minutes late to your check-in, well, guess what? We, are, we won't fly you. We, you have forfeited your right to travel. But if we are late five hours, well, you know, maybe we weren't actually late or it was due to circumstances beyond our control. Hmm. I'm very skeptic about those kind of things. And airlines seem to be getting away with this type of behavior with impunity. And that is not healthy, not only from a social justice point of view, but simply from, even if you are die-hard, conservative, uh, pro-capitalist, uh, pro-competition person. Mm. It's, not, it's not an ideological matter. The whole point of a business model and, and, and of a capitalist society is that businesses compete in a free market and not based on who can deceive the public or the authorities more. 
Mm. The basis for competition is who can offer a better service for a lower price more efficiently. What we have right now is a business model in the airline industry which is not sustainable. Sooner or later, this will have a price for Canadian society far bigger than we already see because the airlines are used to not having to become efficient. One At one point or another in time, this will be financially devastating. Hmm. So, as, as I say, when your flight is delayed, it doesn't matter whom you voted for. You are on the same plane, whether you, whether you voted for NDP, the Liberals, mm-hmm. the Greens, or the Conservatives. Right. Your plane is delayed. And if you miss an important event, a business meeting, a court hearing, a wedding mm-hmm. or a funeral, it affects you equally, regardless of what political views you have. Right. I'm curious, uh, so I might fly two to three times a year, uh, and in, I guess, seven to eight years of, uh, of flying two, two to three times a year, I've only once had a, a flight delayed. Um, they gave us a, you know, a $20 meal voucher or something. Um, 20 whole dollars? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know... The, well, $20 for me and $20 for my partner. Well, I mean, I, perhaps you should have bought a house from this fortune. Um, the that's part and parcel of the problem already. Because when your flight is delayed, you are entitled to make reasonable expenses for your meals. Yeah. Well, I guess what I'm getting at is, to me, that, that seems like a bearable expense. But you obviously, you run this Air Passenger Rates uh, Facebook group, and you're well enough known that people uh, know to come to you with questions now. Yes. Um, how, how much, how often are you hearing from, uh, I guess it's mostly Canadians, uh, but I guess... Uh, how often do these concerns come up? Very often, very often. I don't count how many emails uh-huh. I send or write. I just, I'm even too busy to do the statistics for that. Mm. Uh, but um, quite often, several dozens of messages on Facebook plus emails. You, I, I would in a day group them together. Yes, in a day. Yes, um, and and that is one of the reasons that I'm at this point very much looking into how one how we could build more of a group around it in terms of more volunteers that mm-hmm. I'm actively looking for because uh, it is getting a bit too much for for uh, me, especially with uh, teaching a course at Dalhousie, which right. I greatly enjoy. And uh, this is 100% volunteer for you. Exactly. I'm, I'm not getting paid for it any, in any way. Uh-huh. Uh, this is a volunteer uh, pro bono uh, activity. So um, with, with the, the main task is to disseminate information to passengers about their mm-hmm. rights, because once this knowledge becomes a common knowledge, airlines are far less likely to get away with all sorts of practices that currently are commonplace. Right. And from what you're saying, it seems fair to uh, presume that for the vast majority of these uh, I guess violations. Um, the only way in which uh, there is, I guess, uh, some sort of penalty or enforcement of the rules is if a passenger complains or if a, a formal complaint is filed. Is that fair to say? Unfortunately, yes. It is not how things are supposed to be, but way too much is left in terms of the, of the burden of the enforcement to the actual passenger. I'm troubled by that too. There are many issues that the regulator must be aware of, yet they are not cracking down on it. Mm. And uh, that shows uh, their own sympathies and biases, and I'm not happy about it. So from a passenger's perspective, uh, if you are not comfortable taking the airline to court yourself, 
hiring your lawyer may be very difficult in terms of access to justice mm -hmm. because whatever reward you may get, whatever award you may get at the end may be substantially less than how much legal costs you may not be, end up incurring. And cost awards are either non-existent in Nova Scotia, right. uh, small claims courts, or they are very small based on the value mm -hmm. of, the, of the case. And uh, they tend to be very insignificant compared to the expense mm. that enforcing your rights may cost you. That is one of the reasons that I do very strongly advocate for mandatory costs awards mm. in uh, airline matters, where if an airline is found to have broken the rules, they should be required to pay the full cost of passengers. Mm. All of a sudden, you will have many lawyers, at least young lawyers, who think that the best way to make money at the beginning of your career is take as many airline cases as you want, take <laughs> um, incur reasonable expenses to pursue the case, right. and make the airline pay for the bill. It, this is what I'm describing is a capitalist way to enforce the law uh -huh. based on private economic initiative, private economic interest mm -hmm. of various third parties who will have profit from simply enforcing the law. I mm. think it would be a great idea. And uh, it's very interesting that probably people from the right side of the political map would actually agree with it for quite different reasons. Than those on the left. It's, yeah, so it's a, it, 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 this, is, this is a point on which I think there could be a quite strong consensus uh -huh. on over the political map. That is actually one of the things that I, I'm also happy about in, in being their passenger rights. I do have my own personal views um, and, and my political views, but I'm trying to the best of my abilities to, to make it as non-partisan as possible. Mm -hmm. And that is an important point when, I, when the Facebook group, when there are two politicized discussions that really depart from the actual narrow issue of air passenger rights, I tend to shut it down mm -hmm. because I have my views, people have their views, but when we deal with air passenger rights, we should try to look at what we can all agree on and not things that separate us. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, because uh, going back to the idea of uh, how people are represented in court in these cases, um, I guess a, a disclaimer we should make for the podcast is neither you nor I are uh, qualified to give legal advice, but um, what are some things that you have learned about uh, what's important when representing yourself in, in court and, and, and filing these kinds of complaints? When I go to court myself, I try to be as organized as possible and uh, as uh, brief as possible, concise and wordings and uh, not, not that I always succeed um, <laughs> and be very respectful to the court before which you appear. Um, in spite of a lot of things that have changed in the legal landscape, there is still some level of uh, prejudice in the back of the minds of not all but many adjudicators, judges, when someone who is not a lawyer shows mm -hmm. up, especially in at a higher level court. Small claims court, they are more used to, to uh, people mm -hmm. who are non-represented. Um, superior courts, there's, you need to assume that the judge has an open mind, but they look at you as a self-represented party as a kind of liability like, oh, this is going to be a tough case. I have an unrepresented party before me. I have to right. be careful. Judges, in many cases, are also careful because they would like to make sure that you get a fair hearing. Uh, judges are, in that sense, far happier when they have two counsels and they can just say, well, 
right. a counselor doing their job. I'm just going to listen. I don't have to kind of think two steps ahead. I, I attended traffic court once as a witness. The judge in, in that court ended up uh, giving some advice to people who are self-representing. Is that something that carries through? Uh, you know, do you get uh, advisement of, uh, of rights or procedures from the, the judge themselves while you're in, in these types of situations? It never happened to me, as far as I can recall, especially in federal court of appeal, you are expected to know the rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I don't go into those courts with the attitude that, that I should be treated specially because I'm self-represented. That's right. not the right attitude to be. You, I think the mindset that you should go into is that you're doing the very best to your abilities to follow the rules to the letter, and actually you should even try to follow it more than the other party. Mm-hmm. Judges will appreciate you knowing the rules very well, possibly better than opposing counsel, mm-hmm. and following them to the letter, and uh, even small things but in federal court, like uh, bowing when the, when the court bows to you, uh, thanking the court for um, listening to you when, when after you're done with your legal submissions, mm-hmm. uh, being courteous, being an advocate, but not being an enemy. I, I, one of the most remarkable and, and positive experiences I, I got from a bench in terms of the human interaction uh, was when, uh, in one case, opposing counsel did not have his materials in the court because somehow they didn't arrive, some problems mm-hmm. with his baggage, I think. The court was certainly smiling at this was a lawyer for an airline, not having right. his stuff there. Uh-huh. But I remember that look in the eyes of the judges when um, this was a uh, quite senior uh, counsel, and, and when he was referring to a material, I handed him actually my copy, <laughs> and and open on the right page that he was referring to, and right. an olive branch of sorts. And and uh, treating your the other side, it's not always possible. Sometimes you have a very aggressive lawyer on the other side that is. It makes it impossible. Mm-hmm. Then you have a civil lawyer, a civilized you know, mm-hmm. person on the other hand, side, and treating them as a human being. And yes, we agree on points A, B, and C, but otherwise, we are Canadians. We are citizens. We are. Right. We are. After the hearing, we can have a good conversation about. Mm-hmm hockey or whatever your favorite topic is, that is an important thing to to bear in mind. Judges don't enjoy seeing people who hate each other, as right. and nobody would, it's not a pleasant sight. Mm-hmm. So focus on what is relevant, focus on presenting things linearly. That's a common mistake I'm seeing in complaints from passengers. Mm-hmm. People write letters which are litanies of complaints. Mm. saying about how angry they are, how disappointed they are, uh, how unacceptable it is. I don't want to hear that. Even me as a passenger, it's You're on their side. <laughs> I, I'm on your side. I don't need to hear all this litany. Tell me who, when, what. So one of the first things I often tell people to do when they have a little bit more complex case mm-hmm. is to write a bullet form chronology of mm. the events. Date and time, place, what happened, hmm. and that already helps in the uh, in the head of the the complainant or the passenger to create a linear structure chronology. And same thing with the arguments. Many of the arguments are complex, but what you need to do is the way you think about it is if you have a a woven sweater that's 
the reality and, 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 the, and the arguments. Mm-hmm. We need to bring it down to a thread, a single thread, because when you present your arguments to a judge, hmm. you will have to present them as a sequence, right. one after the other. So you have to find an, an optimal way to present things as a sequence, even though their logical structure is a fabric, which is right. two, two or three dimensionals. <laughs> yeah, lang- language doesn't work that way. <laughs> language doesn't work that way. So you have to decide what you say first, and you need to put yourself in the shoes of an outsider. What is going to make sense to them? Hmm. If you start right from the middle, um, that's something you may want to do in the Supreme Court of Canada, where right. where they have read your brief and uh, they already know very well what the case is about. But when you go to a trial court or small claims court, mm-hmm. you are there to actually take the adjudicator through what happened. And one more advice is use as few adjectives as possible, unless it's absolutely necessary. Why? Because you want to convey facts and not opinions. Mm. So if, if, the, if it is irrelevant that, that somebody was wearing a red shirt, you will mention a man wearing a red shirt. But if it is not relevant, then don't say, oh, that the rude man told you so-and-so. What does it add to the case? You are going to just come across as someone who is adversarial, someone who is who mm-hmm. is unnecessarily uh, eh, convey animosity. The the one of the things that I recently saw from opposing counsel in a case, law, lawyer himself, I found to be very aggressive in his style. But when he was examining witnesses, I I must concede he was doing it beautifully. He was doing it with with style, with respect, with mm-hmm. with in a, in and and. Perhaps one thing I would do next time I'm in such a situation is not only copy that, but even a little bit tone back even on, on how he was presenting things. Mm-hmm. So when you have a witness on the witness stand, they, you, you have to be gentle and kind to them. Mm. In, in general, you, are, you should put yourself in the mindset of you are here to help the court to make the right decision. You are not here to, to uh, drag the other party through the mud you are not here to to show that the other party is immoral. That mm. belongs to the media. It belongs to perhaps Facebook, but in a court, mm. focus on relevant events. Focus on what the judge absolutely, inevitably needs to know about the case to rule on your case. Mm-hmm. Points, things that add color, are rarely helpful in most cases. That in in which in which. Uh, one uh, is involved in family law cases. People tend to drag, drag things that way, and that's, that's one of the things that I would be very hesitant to touch. Family, family law cases, even even if I were a lawyer, which I'm not. Right. It's it's one of the things where there are so many, so much emotions involved. Yeah, there's a lot more emotion in that yeah. than taking a taking a flight to Calgary. Even in flight, there can be lots of emotions because a passenger who is denied transportation uh, for no good reason, they have every right to be angry. Right. But it's. Uh, Remaining calm and, and being factual, it can help a lot hmm. to the quality of the case. You mentioned Facebook earlier, and at the beginning of the show, we played some clips that we pulled from members of your Facebook group who you helped where a lot of people are logging on and sharing their stories, sometimes wondering if their rights have been violated, sometimes wondering what they can do about it, and you're helping them. Using Facebook as an organizing tool, what has that done for the movement that you're trying to build? Um. I began to use Facebook about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, 
And a friend of mine convinced me that I should I should do that. And I thought at that time I thought, okay, I'm going to try it. But I personally very strongly dislike social media. For so you will not find anything beyond my official public information right. on Facebook. I I'm finding it very strange that people who want to share with strangers uh, how they are. Uh, you know, eating in a restaurant or anything about their, their private life, I do quite appreciate my privacy. Mm. And it doesn't mean that I don't tell my students what I'm doing, but that's a privilege. They mm-hmm. are my students, and therefore right. I may tell them, oh, I got only three hours of sleep last night. That's already... Because w- you're up answering all the emails for air passenger rates. Well, uh, possibly, or, or because the way it happens is that, you know, you, you work on some airline project and then you still have to prepare for your lecture. Right. <laughs> and the two things together means that uh, I end up getting into bed, you know, around 3 a.m. and by 6 a.m. I'm up because I'm teaching at 8.30. So I realized that in that Facebook at the same time is a very important tool for communication. I've been doing um, some Twittering since 2013 or 14. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was already a difficult change, mental change to make, but I realized that that in this day and age, social media has incredible power. Mm -hmm. And whether I like it or not, that's the way the world works. And so uh, I think in retrospect, the best decision, two decisions was getting on Twitter and getting on Facebook in terms of Hmm. Uh, changing the shifting the issues from just a few legal battles that I personally do right. to actually my goal, which is to disseminate information to ensure that when something happens, people know where to go, mm-hmm. know where to find information. People have a kind of develop a sense of correct sense of entitlement, not one that I'm entitled because I'm entitled, which is a problem, but rather I'm I'm entitled to this A, B, and C mm. because this is the law and here's where I'm finding the law more or less. Mm. Um, so uh, social media has been very important in it and, and uh, last year when uh, CBC's national broadcast a uh, seven-minute profile about my work, that brought the change because the Facebook group by, at that point was around 300 members. Then over a couple of weeks, it went to nearly 2,000. And how many is it at now? Right now we are around 5,200. Hmm. Wow. And And still growing. And still growing. And have you noticed, I'm curious, because you're on Facebook and Twitter with uh, this group now, that uh, you are, is there pressure you are able to apply on the airlines through those channels? Or is the primary way that you make change now still through... um, the the courts and through uh, you know filing these complaints. What I'm doing these days is more helping people to assert their rights. Hmm. Uh, I haven't filed a new complaint for quite a while. I went the, earlier this year to court with a passenger, and I may be doing it for other passengers. Um, I'm helping some passengers with complaints to Human Rights Commission, hmm. um, but my main strategy is to be two steps ahead. So uh, yes, regulatory complaints are on the agenda, although what happens in the Supreme Court of Canada will also be a big question. Right. Because the issue that is who can file a complaint against an airline? Can you file a complaint uh, even though you have not been personally affected? Hmm. So those all those questions... And that may change based on this new legislation. Uh, not legisl- legislation may not change that but that much, but the Supreme Court of Canada's decision may set some framework 
to define that. I I have held back on some complaints simply because I don't want the agency to toss it out saying, oh, mm-hmm. uh, like they, they did in, in the large passenger case, that because I'm not large enough, I cannot complain. And then I need to go to the federal court. You mean court like physically large, like people who need f- additional f- space yeah, for the yeah. seat? Yeah. Uh, and, and then I need to go to the federal court of appeal the reason that we are in the Supreme Court now is because I won the appeal before the Federal uh, Court of Appeal. Hmm. Uh, unanimous judgment by three judges. But still, I don't want to waste my energies on that hmm. when there are other angles here. And in terms of in terms of what can be achieved, now this issue of passenger rights is a hot topic. Hmm. The media is responsive to it. So uh, often, more often now, the mere prospect of a media uh, covering the topic and and uh, and um, you know making an issue out of it, it may be sufficient for an airline to back off and uh, and uh, do whatever is the right thing to do. Not always. And just recently, I helped a passenger from Newfoundland to file a small claim against Air Canada. The same passenger was turned away by the Canadian Transportation Agency. So um, I was quite happy when he actually got his money through mm. that process. The my conclusion overall is that what I have done in my earlier years of this activism is to have some ground rules set out, some precedents mm. that are very hard to just override now, which is good. Um, now we are, we are at a different stage. The, the focus, my focus somewhat has shifted from uh, changing the rules as written to compliance with the rules as written. Mm. That seems to be currently the one main biggest problem. Mm. You have airlines that have policies written out, like in the air transit terminal delay case. The policy is right there. After 90 minutes, they have to offer people the option to disembark, Mm -hmm. but they are ignoring it. Mm -hmm. The crew are not trained. They are completely oblivious to the right of passengers to disembark. Mm. And that is something that has to change. You cannot have a state of affairs where the airline puts something in their terms and conditions but the actual airline employees have no idea about that. Right. And that is, in and on its own, something that I would love to see being penalized. Hmm. At, for the airline being penalized? Because you're for saying the employees are kind of on your side. They, 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 they're, they're, of course, they're, they, it's not the, the employee's responsibility to know things that they, their employee didn't tell them. Mm-hmm. And I, this is the reason why I feel so much for employees. They are in a really between the rock and the hard place. Mm-hmm. Because... They are being told by their employer, you cannot do A, B, and C. Right. You have to do something else. While the rules actually say they have to do one of those things. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do as an employee? You don't want to lose your job. So you follow what your employer told you. You are not the perpetrator. You are the victim. You mm-hmm. are being told by your employer to do something which is wrong. And you may actually see that it is wrong. In some cases, the employees will wink at you and tell you, look, I know that this is right. wrong, but I'm sorry, this is what I've been told. I'm curious what flying li- is like for you now. I mean, you are well known for uh, the work that you're doing. Um, like, is there a picture of you behind the uh, the check-in desk? Do they do they know who you are when you get on the plane? Are they, do you get extra special treatment? Do you get the, the stink eye? I, I don't think I get a special treatment in any way. A uh, number of people from the crew have come up to me in the past to thank me for the work I do because Hmm. even though they are employees their heart is in their heart they are still consumers themselves and they see how much 
passengers are wrong. Mm. Recently, when I was flying actually out to Ottawa, um, and I showed my boarding pass, and they asked for my ID, I, I cracked a joke with the attendant and asked her, well, don't you know who I am? So, of course, I know who you are, but I still need to ask for your ID. <laughs> I told her, very good, you're doing your job well. <laughs> the agents, the crew are generally not my adversary. Their employer is. Mm-hmm. I view airline employees as much victims as air passengers. And the airlines in many ways are benefiting, profiting from pitting their employees against passengers. Mm-hmm. Because when you are a passenger and you see their poor employee who says, well, this is what I have been told, you, you tend to sympathize with the employee. So you may be backing off on your rights, even though your debate, your your argument, your disagreement is with the airline, not with the actual employee representing the airline to you. Well, Gabby, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. That's this week's episode of the Govern Yourself Accordingly podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, you can find any links to uh, articles, resources, books, uh, Gabby's website, uh, other things that were mentioned during the show by scrolling through the episode description and show notes uh, in this podcast or over at springtide.ngo slash GYA4. That's for Govern Yourself Accordingly, episode four. Govern Yourself Accordingly is a podcast produced by Springtide, and we are a Canadian charity committed to helping listeners everywhere lead change through politics, with their integrity intact. You can find us at springtide.ngo, facebook.com slash springtideco, or on Twitter at springtideco. You can find me on Twitter at Mark Coffin. Subscribe to the podcast, search for Govern Yourself Accordingly wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're listening on a web browser, you can also subscribe for email updates if you scroll down in this post or look in the sidebar over at springtide.ngo slash gya4, and you get a message whenever a new show is released every Tuesday. There are a couple things you could do to help the show. A big one is rate and review the podcast in Apple Podcasts. If you only have a second, just make a star rating between one and five stars. If you have a whole minute, write a one-sentence review that tells us and others why you plan to keep listening. It really helps the show. You can share this podcast on Facebook or Twitter. You can find an easy-to-share link at springtide.ngo slash GYA, followed by the show number, in this case, number four. Better yet, if you thought of someone during this conversation, someone who you think might appreciate hearing some of the lessons in this show, perhaps someone who's in the middle of a battle with airlines themselves, message them with a link to this show. 